the sisterhood of the bottomless mimosa. Hello. Hi, Melissa. Hi, CJ. Hello, well, listeners. Welcome to the Sisterhood of the Bottomless, bottomless Mimosa. Welcome back for episode 11. Thanks for hanging out over the break uh, while Melissa was doing some kind of things in San Francisco for her birthday. L- lots of kind of things. How does it feel being 29? Um, well, I was immediately struck with the plague flu, so it's been a great (laughs) first week of being 29. Oh, God. I have been dead in my apartment in fetal position, alone. Um, so yeah, it's been a good, it's been a good beginning of the year, the next year for me. Well, as a 31-year-old, let me assure you that it's only downhill from here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that was my body telling me it was like the warning of like you we're gonna you have one year left <laughs> alert, just know alert. Uh, know know that this plague we gave you is gonna be coming you know three times as hard with each and every birthday oh that's true god damn it yeah any, any uh any goals for your 29th year fuck don't get pregnant good good one Try to make more money than an in and out employee. <laughs> nice. And um, I don't know. Try and be in a relationship for longer than 30 days. That's those are all very mature goals. <laughs> like those are good posts or pre 30 goals. Those are really good. Those are really good. So, Yeah. On to the next year. It's my one last hurrah before I, like, actually am going to be held accountable as an adult. Yeah. yeah. That's how I feel. It is kind of like that. 29 was a weird year, I gotta say. Like, I feel like it makes you think about things where you're like, oh, wait, I have to get my life together now? Okay, I guess. So, enjoy it. I know. One one last year to fuck everything up. Yep. But we went out with a bang in SF. Any stories you want to share? Yeah, uh, one in particular story, um, since I know we left off with informing our listeners on how fucking freaky deaky I get in San Francisco, (laughs) I only feel it's appropriate to follow up on what type of shenanigans I embraced while I was in town. So I arrived last Friday on the 7th and basically like came off the plane, hit the ground, dropped off my bag and went straight to the Boom Boom Room in Pacific Heights. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been there? I've never been, but I know it. Okay. Um, It's like a little venue, like a little music venue. It's a cute little bar in the Pack Heights district. And they were having a 12 person orchestra funk band that night. Yeah. So I was like, OBS were going. Yeah. And so I rounded up a couple of my friends and we went. And like, it was day one for me, the day before my birthday. Haven't been to SF in a year. So like, the turn up was real. And I was so excited and I was back home and I was seeing all my friends and the tequila shots started getting lined up and your girl don't drink tequila because your girl right. gets hyphy AF. Oh no. And so 
I wasn't going to reject any type of shot no. on my birthday. Uh-uh. Um, so they started flowing like wildfire. And within an hour, the titty twerking booty clapping was on. <laughs> <laughs> and let me just remind you, this is a 12 person orchestra funk band. Mm. So typically like E40 dance moves aren't exactly appropriate right. for the genre of music that's playing. Um, but leave it to me to break that barrier. And so I was for the most part like a normal adult up until my gay friend Paul Jordan showed up. And you know, like once the like gay man enters the building, shit always ends up hitting the fan. It's like <laughs> right. things went from a 10 to a 25 so in less extra. than a second. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was already at 10, but he elevated me to like a 25. <laughs> And so he orders another round of shots and now we're like all drunk and he get, we all go out to go look at this band on the dance floor and he just immediately starts hardcore, like grinding me. (laughs) And next thing I know, I'm like up against a wall and he's like booty fucking me from behind. (laughs) And then we like switch positions and I'm like booty fucking him from behind. And this is literally as we're standing directly in front of the stage. Like, there is nobody in front of us. We're, like, front and center, pressed up against the stage of the band. Like, the guy with the saxophone, his instrument's, like, three inches from my face. Like, and the, the, the full scene that they get is a guy and a girl basically doing X-rated dance moves on the dance floor. To the funk band. Yes. The guy with the tuba looked like he was about to drop dead. Like, (laughs) the faces on these people, it was like, what in, like, God's name is happening? Ah, I love it. But then again, at San Francisco and shit like this happens all the time. Right. Everything goes. Yeah. But it went down like that. Just what was happening that evening, um, no one would let me, like forget it for the rest of the weekend That's like it cool. just every the next following days remember when melissa was butt fucking paul on the dance floor is there photographic evidence there isn't because we're all too shit faced so that uh, was fantastic might be for the best yeah like when you're all that drunk that you forget to document an incredible moment right yeah <laughs> So yeah, it got okay. super hyphy on Friday, and then of course I lost my phone that night in the Uber, which then ended up in San Rafael, and I didn't have a phone until 7 p.m. the next day on my birthday. And when I got my phone back, I had 28 text messages and 12 missed calls. Right, of course. Of course. It's your birthday. Everyone thought I died, and I had to let them know I am alive. <laughs> I was laughing my ass off when I saw that Instagram story about you losing your phone. I was like, damn, girl, it wasn't even 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, damn. I also had just gotten that brand new phone on Wednesday. Remember my phone was broken? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had gotten a brand new phone Wednesday and lost it Friday. Did you have to get a new phone or? No, the Uber driver. Yeah, he brought it back. Oh, that's awesome. I know. But he was boating all day. And so he couldn't bring it back to me till seven o'clock at night. I was like, bitch, it's my fucking birthday. He was trying to break in your phone and look at your titty pictures. He totally was. And then when he met up with me, he like wanted to kick it. (laughs) He was like, like, so what's going on for tonight? Shut up! No! Oh my 
god was he cute he was not that cute okay so came in with a bang came yeah in like a wrecking ball into your an, 29th year an actual bang a booty bang <laughs> booty bang it was good that's why it's called the boom boom room girl <laughs> right i did a lot of boom boom in that room me and pj pj it was great uh, cool do well, you have any updates girl i mean what could possibly stand up to all those <laughs> um no i have like not really i'm kind of okay. high right now so i'm ready to listen to you talk okay just, cool and just smile like a dumbass hippopotamus cool you're gonna love my uh story oh god um but i do have wine to review Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. So, shout out to my friend Bridget, who is a fellow birthday Virgo of mine. My birthday's September 8th, and hers is the 9th. And so, we're always up to our Virgo shenanigans when September season hits. But she got me a bottle of wine for my birthday that she was excited to share with me because she wanted me to review it on the podcast Mm -hmm. because it's her favorite bottle of wine. Cute! Um, And it is 14 Hands Red Blend. Okay. Have you had it before? I ha- is that the one with the horses? Yes. Yes. I really like that wine. Yeah. I have never had it. I've heard of 14 Hands Winery. I've never had any of their wine, but we used to sell this this wine in the restaurant I worked in, mm-hmm. um, but I've been drinking it for a minute, and it is fucking good. Yeah, it is. It's just, like, so flavorful, uh, fruity, like, cherry-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not very, like, strong in tannin, so it's pretty easy to drink. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have, like, that chalky aftertaste, you yeah. know, like some stronger reds do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's super bomb. It's a red blend, uh, Columbia Valley, ni- or 2015. Um, and I'm super stoked because it was a birthday gift from one Virgo to another. And she obviously knows my taste because I'm all for it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of red, but that is a red that I've like bought for myself. I really like it. It's good. Well, and I think I'm, I like red wine. I prefer white. Mm-hmm. I love red wine, but... My, when I don't enjoy red, it's because of that strong tanniny, yeah. chalky flavor. Yep. It's just heavy, and it's not like so pleasant to drink unless you're like pairing pairing it with like a steak or something. Yeah. Like yeah. you kind of have to like. It's almost like certain reds have to be drinking with food. Yeah. Or yeah. like this wine or this red, it, you can just drink it while watching TV. Like it's very easy. Yeah. So nice. I'm I'm totally feeling it, all for it, and I haven't done a red in a while. So I have a shitload of wine, by the way. Like everybody that got me something got me a bottle of wine. Nice. So I'm stocked on the wine review for a couple of weeks. Nice. Yeah. Stoked. I've been meaning to. I I use HelloFresh all the time, free advertising, and they have they keep giving me like forty five dollars off of their boxes of wine. I they have wine? wine they yeah they they don't like make the wine themselves but they buy it's like third party yeah and they, and they match it to to like their meals and stuff um speaking of which i forgot to tell you this because this was when my phone was lost in san francisco mm-hmm. but uh on that saturday afternoon we went to the ferry building uh-huh. and we got a bottle of wine and took it out on a patio and you know what wine we got what daisy yeah did you like it we loved it good and it was so funny because i was with kelsey my roommate my old roommate and she even said oh this is colleen's favorite wine (laughs) and i was she's like from the podcast and i was like yeah and we drank it and it was super good it's so good yeah we're, we're all for it 
Ah, uh, the fairy building's so fun. There's so much I good know. stuff in there. I know. I love the fairy building. There's so much good stuff in there. Yeah, but I was like standing there wanting to take a picture of it and text it to you, and I'm like, oh wait, that's right. My phone's in San Rafael. <laughs> Fucking assholes. Oh lord. Uh, I'm not drinking anything but the coffee that I always drink, which is the basic bitch Starbucks medium roast in my Gemini coffee mug. Because uh, I don't know if you guys know this yet, but I'm a Gemini. I may have mentioned it <laughs> once or twice or seven times every episode. Uh, and I will not review the substance that got me high just for the case of plausible deniability. But it was good. I'll say that much. <laughs> having a great fucking time okay good should we who wants to introduce the the you guys we're doing something different this episode you should introduce it because i feel like this was your idea anyway (laughs) hair flip um so we wanted to do an episode and we may do others in the future if you guys are into it of we're calling it the villainess episode so women who may have accomplished good things or not but are a little bit more bad than the ladies that we normally talk about in our podcast. And we talked about this idea, I think, in a past episode, like several episodes back. I think it was the Stevie Nicks episode and the yeah. Napoleon one. Um, and we decided in honor of bad bitch Melissa's birthday that we were going to make this episode our first villainess episode. So let us know what you guys think. Hit us up on Instagram or email us at mimosasisterhood at gmail.com. Um, if it's something that you guys like, then we'll do more of them in the future. And I think that's it. And you're, you're up. You're up first. Okay. So I am up and I'm so excited to talk about my villainess woman, um, who I was recently introduced to only about a month ago due to a Netflix documentary that I watched and um, was very inspired because I felt like this woman was not only a psychopath, but a complete badass. So. (laughs) I know exactly who the fuck this is. Are you sure? I'm almost positive, but go, go, go. Just tell me, are you doing her? No, 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 no. Okay. No. So today I am covering Ma Anand Sheila. Ah! This is so good. This is going to be so good. <laughs> Did you know? Um, is this what you thought? Yeah. Yeah. Once you started talking about it. How did you know? I just, when you said psychopath <laughs> and Netflix documentary, I was like, know who that is. Okay, cool. So for anybody that doesn't know who Ma Anand Sheila is, she was the secretary and spokeswoman of the religious cult known as the Raj Nashpuram movement. And um, if you are interested, you can go onto Netflix and watch the documentary called Wild Wild West. Why, it's it's on- Wild Wild Country. Oh, sorry. <laughs> wild Wild Country. Um And it's only about like a six episode documentary. I think they're about like a one hour each, but um, I highly suggest it. It's super interesting. And uh, to be honest, I had no fucking clue that this ever existed Mm -hmm. or occurred or happened until I watched this documentary. I can I add before you start, I'm really excited you're covering her because I watched the first two or three episodes and then I couldn't handle the rest. So now I'm excited that you're going to tell. Like, I don't know what happens. Really? <laughs> no. 
know because I couldn't. I knew it was. I knew it was bad, and I couldn't make myself finish it. Okay, cool. So, uh, all right. So, um, Sheila. So, I, from what I'm going to talk about is mostly going to be Sheila's life with the Rajneeshi movement. Mm-hmm. So she probably lived a whole life prior to that, but that's not what I'm focusing on. For sure. So. Um, Sheila was born Sheila Ambala Patel in 1941 in Gujarat State, India. At 18, she moved to the United States and attended Mont St. Clair State College in New Jersey. Sheila married a man named Mark, and they moved to India in 1972 to pursue spiritual studies. They became disciples of the Indian guru Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, and Sheila took the name Ma Anand Sheila. After her husband Mark died, she re- or she married another fellow Rajneesh follower named John Shelfner. In 1981, Sheila became Rajneesh's personal assistant and convinced him to leave India and establish an ashram in the United States. In 1981, Sheila purchased the 64,000-acre Big Muddy Ranch in Wasco County, Oregon, which became the site for the Rajneesh Param Commune. She became the president of the Rajneesh Foundation International, and she managed the commune. Um, although the guru of the commune, which was Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, even though he was like the guru leader, mm-hmm. he, uh, Sheila was really like the woman that was pulling all the strings, operating the business, mm-hmm. running the commune, dealing with all of the political shit on the back end. Like he was basically the face of the cult mm-hmm. and he, he did originate you know, the beliefs and the morals and the practices that went down in the cult, but Sheila was fucking operating that shit like crazy. Yeah. Um, which is part of the reason why I wanted to choose her because even though she turns out to be a psychopath, I can't help but feel a little bit of, you know, praise over the fact that she was running this man's career basically right right and i love that (laughs) (laughs) um so sheila was pretty much so backstory we're gonna start calling him osho because that's like the name he ended up going by and there's so much use of rajneesh in every form that we need to like lower that that (laughs) vocabulary down so oh so sheila was basically in love with osho and she would do like anything and everything in her willpower to keep him safe prosperous and keep the commune thriving she would go to literally any length to keep the movement alive uh the followers of of Osho were referred to as Rashnishis, and they were once expected to take Hindu names and wear a 108 beaded wooden necklace with Rajneesh's portrait and wear clothing limited to shades of red and orange. The Rajneeshi cult was basically a hippie paradise full of meditation, sex, and yoga. Yes! Which is so funny because somebody that I know was who recommended this documentary to me and they were like oh my god melissa you have to watch wild wild country it's the craziest shit ever i can't believe the stuff that they were doing there blah 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 so i'm like okay cool so i literally start episode one and i'm watching it and i'm like but wait i did all the same stuff in bali (laughs) (laughs) i'm like uh I think I'm a Rashnishi. Would you have joined? 
well I was doing it all like at the yoga barn like everything I was doing at the yoga barn is literally everything that they were doing at, like in the Rashnishi cult like as far as their spiritual healing practices were you guys having group sex in Bali we weren't having group sex I was like girl why did you never tell me this but the number one like practice that they were doing in the Rashnishis was kundalini yoga right. and that's what I did I did right. kundalini yoga and it's fucking weird and it's yeah. like you scream and you run around and you shake your body and you do all these rapid movements and extreme like breath work yeah and like it's supposed to like awaken the inner being and like release your sexual energy and your creative spark it's like supposed to enlighten like the inner soul like yeah let's shut down the ego and like release the soul but you can't do that until you like awaken it so mm-hmm. you have to like do all this crazy like physical activity to get it out and like you see them do that on the cold they like they have like documentation of it and they look like crazy people and i'm like but wait i did that <laughs> <laughs> um so like I am calling it a cult because, like, it really technically is a cult. But, like, these people were in this commune with, like, a positive purpose. They were there because they wanted to better their lives. They wanted spiritual healing. They wanted enlightenment. They were focusing on, you know, themselves and empowering themselves through meditation and yoga and, you know, all the positive. And so, like most cult-type things, shit did end up hitting the fan, but I do believe that, like, the Roshanishis did have good purpose when they first came together and like started this commune so that's kind of just like my little side note on that um but the interesting interesting thing about the followers of the Rashnishi followers is that the majority of them if not almost like all of them were educated upper middle white class Americans who had like flocked to India to gain enlightenment by being in Osho's presence and they were pretty much just like bored of capitalism and craved meaning in their lives and they were really like attracted to Osho's teachings of like materialism and sexual hedonism and Osho and they were all super attractive as I recall they were yeah Yeah. (laughs) super attractive um and so Osho referred to himself as the rich man's guru because he never hesitated to like display his wealth yeah he often wore jewels like all these crazy watches he owned a fleet of 93 Rolls Royce cars Mm. (laughs) um and early in his career he began to teach that sex is a meditative first step on the path to super consciousness he believed that embracing sex is theism and equated atheism with the belief that sexual acts are sinful um so yeah they were just very progressive very hippie-ish very liberated in all all realms um and within three years sheila and the roshnishi followers developed a community turning the ranch from an empty rural property into a city of up to seven thousand people complete with typical urban infrastructures such as a fire department police restaurants malls townhouses and a forty-two thousand foot airstrip a public transport system using buses a sewer reclamation plant and a reservoir oh my god like (laughs) needless to say the oregon people were fucking pissed (laughs) because like on top of that like where they moved in oregon like antelope oregon it was like very like countryside um the same fucking townsfolk that have been there from day one when they were born the same people they see every day like nothing changed in that part of oregon 
and then this fucking commune shows up and they're fucking like rat cats and dogs and it's just like hippie meditation going down and they're like what are these psychopaths doing on our land oh my god it's like every farmer's nightmare (laughs) (laughs) basically and so within a year of arriving the commune leaders found themselves in a series of legal battles within the oregon neighbors over the land use so like initially the rajneeshis had stated that they were there planning to create a small agricultural community with their land being zoned for agricultural purposes only but it soon became obvious that they wanted to establish the kind of infrastructure and services normally associated with an entire town Mm -hmm. like they showed up with like the agenda to just take over fucking oregon like that was like sheila right that was yeah her that was all sheila yeah completely i mean that is kind of badass (laughs) it's super badass And so their land use conflict escalated into bitter hostility and it turned into like a full-blown war between the commune and the local residents of Antelope, Oregon. Um, And this is when Sheila like started to get really hyphy. She started to court controversy by doing media appearances solely to troll the townsfolk of Mm. Antelope. She wanted the, or because she was pissed that they wanted the Rushnishis gone. So she went like full blown, like crazy in the media. Like, you know how, like, imagine like the town's like, I don't want you here. Instead of backing down, she's like, Oh, you don't want me here? Okay, well, I'm going to be 75,000 times more annoying. What are you going to do now? Psycho. Like, that was Sheila's approach. <laughs> she was like, Oh, you don't like this? Okay, now I'm going to make you really not like this. Right. She had no fucking fear. Like, it was just like, Game on, bitches. And so it's funny because she was asked on a 60 minute. Uh, episode how she felt about the people who like quote don't want the orange people in our town uh she replied what can i say tough titties (laughs) 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 which was a very common theme of sheila's when she was doing live interviews she was known to have a very uh lax tongue Mm -hmm. and would just say all kinds of inappropriate shit out loud in her interviews like it on like you know whatever she was doing she was like dropping f-bombs she was saying like all kinds of ridiculous things and so um she had also like referred to the local government officials on like live television as bigoted pigs and fascists and reporters had often accused her of having an acid tongue um so the oregon attorney general dave fraunmeyer issued an opinion in 1983 that the city of rashnish param had violated the constitu- constitutional separation of church and state because it was directly controlled by the religion and the religion's leader so sheila responded by attempting to just gain more power because that's what sheila does and she thought it would be a good idea to get some of the rashnishis into the government um and so she started to take over the wasco county election uh (laughs) so in oregon law it states that anyone who's been in the state for at least 20 days is allowed to register to vote so yeah so sheila and the Rashnishis head out into the United States and they start gathering up all the homeless people that they can find. Shut up. <laughs> 
to move into the commune to increase their voter voter pool so that when election day comes around, they have more people on their side to vote Rashnishis into government so that they can take over the government and not be, like, exiled from Oregon. Wow. But unfortunately, her plan didn't go so well as the billions of street people that they collected over the country turned out to have several mental health issues. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> which caused a lot of problems in the commune. <laughs> so, Sheila, thinking, what's plan B, um, decided that in order to tr- attempt to keep them under control long enough for voting day, she would give the homeless people spiked beer that had an anti-psychotic drug in it. Oh my god. But when that didn't work, they took the homeless to various parts of Oregon and just dumped them off on the streets. Wow. Fuck. So, she went to plan B. Oh no. <laughs> um, which turned out to be the single largest bioterrorist attack in the U.S. history. The plan was to suppress voter turnout on election day by causing many of the residents to be too sick to go to the polls. So, in a test run, Sheila and the Rashnishis gave two county commissioners glasses of water that were contaminated with salmonella. <gasps> then, when that seemed to work out perfectly fine, once those two like fell ill, they went around to several restaurants in the area and they sprayed salmonella in the salad dressings wow. at the salad bar. Wow. As a result of the attack, 751 people contracted salmonella, resulting in 45 being hospitalized. <laughs> Peace, love, yoga, meditation. <laughs> right? Like, that's what's up. Well, and I'm going to... Br- I'm going to talk about my thoughts on why Sheila did everything Sheila did later. Can we also, do you know, since I didn't finish the documentary, are people, are any Rashnishis at this point like, yo, I'm out. Like, this isn't what I came here to do. No, because they have no idea this is happening. Well, then who is doing this? So she, so, and I'll also get into this a little bit later, but so, like, Sheila was running the commune, and she had, like, like, imagine it being, like, a typical, like, a government so you have all the all the followers all the little people and then you have like the 10 you know officials and she's like the president so okay. she had her little sidekicks up at the top with her mm. that like helped her do all the bad things she was doing but like everybody else in the town had was just fucking and get like meditating <laughs> they were like sowing the, the corn and they were like you know out there being hippies in commune like they had no idea they were doing what they had arrived to do completely clueless as to what was going on on the back end wow yeah so this is the perfect timing because while all this shit was like hitting the fan and sheila was going ham fucking bitch ass osho was just getting like high as fuck on cocaine with these like bougie hippies he had met in la when he had gone down to la for business and so he like had gone to LA, met these like 
like you know uh progressive up-and-coming hippies in LA who wanted to be a part of the Rajneeshi and so they like made friends and he grabbed gathered some of them and brought them back to the commune and they introduced him to like a whole different world of like drug use like they weren't drug addicts they were just like like one of them was a physician like they were well off like people with great careers but you know people with great careers are always doing blow on the side yeah and so (laughs) they like introduced him to blow i can't remember what other drug they had given him but there was some footage in the documentary where he's like hanging out with these people and he's just fucked up (laughs) and like like so he brings these people up to the commune and now he's like all butt buddies with them it's like a, a husband and a wife and they're like giving him tons of money like for the commune they like i think they each both gave like five hundred thousand dollars towards like the commune and so like now he's like besties with these two people and so he comes back to oregon and sheila's like who the fuck are these skanks like what's going on and he was kind of like whatever sheila like see you later we're gonna go do blow on the side room and she's like what the hell like what are you doing like what's going on and so sheila got pissed because she's like what the fuck is happening to osho like he's our leader he's our guru you know he's supposed to be this meditative guy like he's a higher deity but then he went down to LA and got all like West Hollywood with the fucking, you know, famous people and came back acting like he was like too cool for school. And she did not fucking like that shit. Like she got pissed because number one, she's in love with this guy. Yeah. Two, she kind of thinks of him as like her muse, you know, like, like she is doing all this stuff for him like to keep the commune alive to keep spreading the message like well and so then she, so she tells herself so she tells herself right yeah and so she's like now you're like not even giving a fuck you're like you're totally like fucking everything up you're fucking yourself up and so she goes into like hardcore protective mode because she doesn't want these people she basically doesn't trust these new friends of his mm-hmm. and she's afraid they're gonna ruin everything and fuck up his life <clears throat> so she goes like triple thousand like to 100 <laughs> she likes um sorry i'm still getting over that sickness she uh what is it called oh she wiretaps his bedroom she does all this crazy shit because she wants to make sure like she can hear all their conversations to know what's going on and just like it gets crazy and so basically like once she felt betrayed by osho she just kicked into like higher gear and went to a whole different level and so already like everything was going downhill she poisoned the whole town she like fucked with all these homeless people like the oregon people were catching on and they're like you're breaking all these laws why did all these people 750 people get poisoned like how did this happen and so like the police are out there investigating you know like they're starting to get warrants out and stuff like that and so she knows like it's now or never like shit hit the fan we gotta we gotta do something and bail Mm -hmm. and so for one last hurrah she gets her little sidekick friend um who's this poor little australian woman who just got snatched into the commune you know and started doing all of sheila's dirty work for her and um at one of their prayer ceremonies this woman went up behind like the man one of these la like out of the two la pair the man Mm -hmm. who was like who is considered the doctor of osho that's what he called himself and she goes up behind him in prayer star ceremony and just fucking injects some type of poison into his body with like a needle and like shoots him up and then like bails the scene and like it was attempted murder like whatever was in there was supposed to kill him and he didn't end up dying but um so sheila and her like 20 friends who were like at the top just 
like flee they're like we out see ya and they bail the commune and they take off and they all like board a flight and they head off to germany and so everybody else in the commune is like who the who the fuck just attacked this guy he's like convulsing you know like what's going on how did this happen and then word gets out that like sheila had done it and there's this big whole ceremony where osho's on the stage and he's just starts slandering sheila like you wouldn't believe being like she's been doing all this stuff and corrupting all these things and yada 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 but like he lightweight knew she was fucking doing shit. You oh, know? yeah, he didn't give a shit. He was like, you handle business, girl. Yeah, he basically yeah. gave her the ability to do and handle things as she saw fit, and she did. And then when shit hit the fan, he obviously threw her under the bus entirely and took zero... Uh, of course. Took Acted as if he was as innocent as, like, you know, Jesus Christ or whatever. Right. And so the whole entire commune was, like, fucking devastated because again as i mentioned earlier they didn't even know any of this crazy shit was going on so like all these people that had like left their lives to come out here and live on this commune to be like higher level enlightened living this peaceful world they were in their utopia which they really were in their utopia like in their day-to-day life everything was fucking daisies and like butterflies Mm -hmm. and then to find out like all the corrupt shit that was happening on the back end they were like mortified people were like crying they were devastated they couldn't believe what was happening and so like it was a huge fucking bummer um and so i think it was september 14th is the day that uh in 1985 that sheila and her friends bounced the commune and then the following week osho is when he had that press conference to rip her to pieces and then right around there the criminal investigation was like kicking off hard and it turned out to be the largest in oregon history and it was confirmed that a secretive group had engaged in a variety of criminal activities including the attempted murder of osho's physician wiretapping and bugging within the community and within osho's home and the poisoning of two public officials and arson on top of the 751 people in oregon so (laughs) so like who gets charged well fucking sheila bounce she took off to germany so they didn't charge osho so yeah they did so they so they were attempting to charge both but sheila had already bounced and fled to germany and that's like right when osho began to realize like fuck if like she's gone they're gonna come after me so he attempts to flee to bermuda on his private jet And it's so funny because in the documentary, he's like boarding the jet because they have their own airport on the commune and all the Rajneeshis are crying because they're like, (laughs) their their man, their, their, their God is leaving and they don't know where he's going and if they'll ever see him again, like their whole lives have been destroyed in like one day. And so he attempts to bounce and he gets on this plane and he takes off and then the plane has to stop in North Carolina for refuel and that's where he was snatched up by police and he was uh he was deported back to india Mm. um but his departure led to like the end of the rashnish param commune and eventually led to bankrupting like the entire commune like they were worth like i think i yeah in their prime the cult was worth 65 million dollars oh my god and they went completely bankrupt after all of that especially with all the criminal investigation i think they had to fork up like all of their money for like all the damage that they had done so at this time sheila's in west germany 
like out there trying to start some new life and she was snatched up and imprisoned for attempted murder like i think the u.s had gotten out to germany and told them what was going on and so they got her and they they imprisoned her for attempted murder assault wiretapping arson immigration fraud and her role in infecting the salad bar of several restaurants (laughs) with salmonella the only person in history to have that charge leveled against them Roshnish or Osho himself was accused of immigration violations to which he entered an Alford plea. As part of his plea bargain, he agreed to leave the United States and eventually returned to Punda, India. After that, all of his followers basically left Oregon. Mm. So today, Sheila is 70 years old and alive and well. So she, yeah, how long was she in prison? She only went to jail for two years. Of course. I think she got 20 and she went to jail for two. Right. And there's actually a part um, uh, at the end of her, at the end of the documentary where she's being interviewed. Well, because she's being, she's interviewed in the documentary. Right. So you see her today in this documentary right. and I can't remember if it was in the documentary or a different interview I watched, but somebody was asking her like about the fact that she had gone to jail and like had been committed of all these crimes and she had made this comment like you know in my country or no no i think she said or in switzerland so so hold on so today sheila is 70 alive and well and she's living in switzerland she like after she got out of jail in germany she moved to switzerland and she's running a care center for the mentally disabled oh no oh no yeah i'm like what is the death rate of that fucking hospital i mean could you imagine how do you let somebody who's poisoned an entire town run a mentally disabled health center well and like (laughs) dosed psychiatric patients with antipsychotics and dump them in the middle of nowhere yeah so she in this interview said something like you know, in Switzerland, when, you, when you've when you lived out your sentence and when you've paid your dues and you did your time, you're wiped clean of all of your crime. That's how it is in Switzerland. I'm not a felon. I'm not a criminal because I did my time. But when you come to the United States, after you've done your time, you're a criminal for the rest of your life. And she was like, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. I, I refuse to talk about my my criminal past or any of the crimes that I did because I was wiped clean after I finished my sentence. Hmm. So she refuses to like talk about it. Cause she says she, she paid for her crimes, but then so, like spend six episodes of a documentary talking about it essentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Pretty much. Cause she's a psycho. So <laughs> that's pretty much the story wow. of, uh, Ma Anand Sheila. I do have a couple thoughts on this whole situation. Yeah. Like, I'm not here to defend her because I think she's a fucking psychopath, but I do have some thoughts and hopefully you can feed off them and tell me what you think. But because I'm my first thought is like, how in the world did she spiral so far out of control Mm -hmm. when the entire purpose of her life was to go to India to become a spiritual healer, to work under this Indian guru. Like she had a motive of like being a good person and living to her highest potential. So how does somebody go from like that road to the complete polar opposite? And so that led me into thinking like, well, what was, what was her influences? Well, one, it was Osho, the guru. She had some strange connections 
connection to him it could have been love it could have been like a muse situation I don't know what it was but I think her connection to him very much almost um tainted her innocence like she cared about him so much that she was willing to sacrifice her beliefs I think right like she almost let that poison her life's purpose Mm -hmm. like it, it instead of it being about her individual enlightenment and her individual spiritual growth it like focused to like um I'm willing to sacrifice me to keep you alive and prospering and to keep your message alive so it's like she went from a follower to like a governor Mm -hmm. and like I almost feel like when you're in that leader role and you're focused on the ego and you're focused on power and you're focused on rules and you're focused on dominating like you can't also be this like fluttery spiritual healing hippie it's like I don't know that those two can even go hand in hand so it's like she she had to choose like am I gonna be the follower or am I gonna be the leader and it came down to like what is what allows me to be the most dedicated to him as a follower or a leader and I feel like she chose the leader path because she just wanted to take care of him she was Mm -hmm. like you do what you do I don't want you to ever stress out or have any fucking shit to deal with so like the best way that I can dedicate myself to you is dealing with like all the hard shit and so I feel like that's what happened like she went from her her path changed Mm -hmm. and it it forced her to like become this militant psychopath and I feel like in her head she thought of it like I will go to any lengths for this mission and this this religion and this movement and she didn't care if that meant criminal activity because she still felt like she was doing the right thing for the right cause right I mean I can give you my my thoughts on Sheila what do you think I think, and I really think, like, this woman is, like, a natural-born psychopath. Like, I think she is, like, a certifiable, like, just born a fucking psychopath. And I think when she... And this is... I've also seen, like I said, I've seen half the documentary. So I've seen, like, just her face and the way she says things and her eyes and just the whole fucking thing. And I think when she saw Osho... For the first time, she was like, that's my fucking ticket. Like, that's what's going to give me power. That dude is like, he has a power over people and I can fucking link up with him and rule the fucking world. But I also think that she was like, I mean, she weeps multiple times in that documentary when talking about him. Like, she was very genuinely obsessed with him. Mm -hmm. Like, that was not, I don't think that was an act. Like, I think she really, so that, I don't know what that piece is. Like... So I think she knew what she was doing from Jump. Like, I think she was using Osho as a way for her to gain more power. But I do also think she she cared about him. So I don't think, like, I have a different view. Like, I don't. my opinion of her is not that, like, she became a psychopath. I think she started out that way. And Osho gave her an opportunity to fucking go balls to the wall with whatever that is. <laughs> yeah that's that's my opinion of sheila but yeah she definitely is fucking like that was the part to me that was weird about the documentaries i was like you know because the whole idea is like psychopaths can't have empathy towards people i'm like but she fucking loves that dude like she was obsessed with him yeah to this day to this day she is is he dead uh i don't know i actually don't know if he was if he's dead yeah what happened to that guy i don't know but yeah. um 
But yeah, that that's Sheila for you. Can you guess her zodiac sign? You know exactly what I'm going to fucking guess. Scorpio. That is... She's not a Scorpio. Okay. Is she Gemini? No. <laughs> I said, I said Honestly, I wasn't that surprised when I saw her zodiac sign. I'm trying to think of what other signs lash out. Well, I would think less about lashing out and think more about her life focus to climb the the ladder. Is she Capricorn? She's a Cap. You did it! You did it! You broke us. I broke us. She's a Capricorn. All right, Capricorns. We finally represented you with a psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that not that surprising, though, now that you... If you think of it that way. No, like, it makes sense. Yeah. I, I, of course, I had to think Scorpio just because the retaliation piece. Oh, yeah. And then Geminis are also retaliatory. But yeah, Capricorn totally makes sense. Like, no, like not stop until the top. Yeah. And then she... the top not being enough. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But also, like, this was the other thing that I was fucking in, just blown away by is the fact that a woman that's run a fucking cult, committed all these crimes, went to jail for two years, flew across cross country to switzerland is able to start her own business yeah like i can't even fucking get a raise at my job like (laughs) how can this woman do all this shit yeah she's obviously like insanely brilliant yeah like i just it's unbelievable that Mm -hmm. she can go to the lengths that she can go to successfully like what the fuck yeah like how can full-blood psychopaths do the things that they do and we still are like fucking looking for quarters in our couch so we can do laundry because they think because they have feelings of grandiosity so they think that they should have access to everything so we need to become more psychopathic (laughs) (laughs) moral of the story be more like sheila (laughs) i mean at least i need to be sheila long enough to get like a career that like can pay me girl i mean look i'll as long as you don't get any salad bars full of salmonella (laughs) well also like i didn't know that many people ever even eat at the salad bar (laughs) like i have never a day in my life been at like a soup plantation being like let me get a caesar salad i'm like (laughs) straight for like the burger and fries or something well especially in that town which sounded like a steak and potatoes kind of place guess not so yeah there you are ma and wow. sheila out in the switzerland sheila. Se- 70 years fucking old and you know what's even creepier what? her at that like elderly center yeah like the fact that her new job is taking care of people that literally can't take care of themselves it's it's an even truer testament to her need to be in power and yeah. control i'm also like what is she like she's got to be doing stealing from them or like she's got to be doing something well it's like in in happy gilmore remember when he leaves his grandma and then ben stiller is like the psychopath yes (laughs) the psychopath guy that's running the elderly center oh my god that was the strongest performance i'm just saying yeah Woo, sheila Sheila girl. Sheila girl. We that don't is know. a great, great villainous pick. That's really we, good. We don't know if Sheila's a full-blown psychopath or if she was on a spiritual journey and got too caught up in the ego and became a... We don't know. But 
if anybody out there has any other ideas, please email them because I'm so enamored by her entire story. I like want to know what everybody thinks about Sheila. Well, that's what's so funny. Like when that when that documentary first came out, there were so many people on the social meds who were writing hard for Sheila. And I was like, but you guys, like she's just like, oh, but people love her. Oh, one other thing I forgot to mention real quick. When I was doing my research, I was able to find an article that had interviewed several Rashnishi followers Mm -hmm. after the documentary had gone live to ask them, like, did you watch it? What did you think? What's your perspective? Almost every single one of them admitted that they had no idea any of this stuff was happening and that they were fucking devastated and horrified when they found out that all this stuff was happening. But they also said that the, the... thing that they were uh, where they were bummed out that the documentary because it basically focused entirely on all the criminal activities which put like obviously a very bad cult name on the Rashnishi movement but for the people that were legit followers they were like we wish that they had spent a little bit more time showing like all the good that we were also doing Mm. like they didn't spend barely any time to like actually talk about and go through like the day-to-day lives of the people that were there for the good you know and Mm -hmm. so I think they kind of felt robbed of like we were all kind of put in this negative light and that wasn't really what was happening with any of us and like a lot of people had said that my years on the commune were the best years of my life i was saved i was such a bad person before i went the commune saved me um and so i think that you know there is to be said that the Rashnishi movement did have a lot of uh, positive benefits to people that did live there for a long time. But a lot of people did say that when they found out that she had done all those things, no one was surprised. Mm, yeah. That yeah. they everybody had always had kind of off-putting feelings about her. Yep. I remember um, the second they, sh- and when they show her in the first shot in the documentary, it is kind of a dramatic shot. Like they are setting her up a certain way. But I do remember when I saw her eyes, I didn't even know the story. I was like, that woman's a psycho. Like the <laughs> second I saw her eyes, I was like, ooh, she's no good. Like that woman. Yeah. There's just a, there's a malice to her that you can feel very, very palpably, I thought. Like, yeah. Yeah. That is so funny. I know. So yeah, that that's that. We can't really celebrate Sheila, but we are always welcome to hear what any of you th- have to think or any theories that you might have. Please send them send them our way. Yeah. Shorty swing our way. <sighs> All right, shall we shall I go into my villainess? Yes, sir. So my villainess I think is slightly more complicated in that she really did some amazing stuff for a large group of people, but there is a point in which things go all the way left. Kind of similar to Sheila, but I think she, no offense, Sheila, but this girl did more than you. Um, And I might have, I don't remember if I mentioned her by name in a past episode, but she's kind of what inspired this entire segment. And her name is Winnie Madikizela Mandela, who I will shorthand call Winnie Mandela, who, among other things, was a South African anti-apartheid activist, the third wife of Nelson Mandela. She was married to him the entire 27 years he was in prison, uh, and a member of the South African parliament from 1994 to 2003, and then from 2009 until her death this past April. And she did some really great shit and some really gnarly ass shit. So hold on to your titties. 
So, uh, Winnie was born in South Africa in 1936. She studied social work. So, I, like, real quick, apartheid, for those of you who somehow don't know, was a um, mandated black and white segregation system in South Africa. That started, I think, in 1948 on the books. And so she's born in 1936. As she's coming of age as an adult, apartheid is the ruling law in Africa, basically. So she's growing up as a black woman in South African apartheid. She studies social work in Johannesburg, despite like the educational restrictions on black women in that country at the time and got a degree in social work in 1956. She later earned a bachelor's in international relations. And I didn't find this anywhere else, but the Washington Post article I read said that she was the first female social worker in all of South Africa. So I don't know whether or not that's true, but that's what the Washington Post said. And I assume they checked their facts. So I bring all that up because like as a social worker, you're dealing with like your whole purpose is to help people, right? Like that is not a job that makes you a lot of money. That is not a job that is fun to have. That is the a job that you only take when you are somebody who really cares about other people's welfare. So keep that in mind. In 1957, at the age of 22, Winnie meets Nelson Mandela at a bus stop. He's married with kids, but asks her out on a date anyway. And they have a whirlwind romance. He divorces his wife and they get married within the year. Dang. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Quick. Yeah. Nelson was not, he was not about to pass up on that ass. (laughs) Uh, And then she has two babies for him in two years, which I'm like, damn, girl, that's a popping those out. In 1963, Nelson Mandela is arrested and imprisoned. He's not released until 1990 at the repeal of apartheid. So for the next 27 years, Winnie really becomes his public face and she kind of like helps keep him alive. I'm not going to say she's the reason he ends up becoming president, but it you do have to ask yourself, what would people still have remembered Nelson? Would they have loved him as much if she wasn't there to be repping for him the entire time that he was in prison? Just saying. So during this time, she she kind of becomes the the face of the movement in his place. So she's at the forefront of the anti-apartheid movement. And just like keep that in mind as I'm about to go into this crazy shit because as a black person at the forefront of that movement, her her husband's already in jail until the end of time and she is as you might imagine terrorized, tortured, imprisoned, brutalized by the state. So this woman goes through a lot. In 1969, she's arrested for her political activities and imprisoned without trial for 17 months, 13 of which she spends in solitary confinement. During this imprisonment, she is beaten and tortured, and she later wrote that the experience was, quote, what changed me, what brutalized me so much that I knew what it is to hate. Uh, Again, in 1976, there is a student uprising in the all-black neighborhood of Soweto. Thousands of black students took to the streets to protest a government decree that you could only teach classes in Afrikaans and English. So basically like the languages of the colonizers, you weren't allowed to speak your African native language in the schools. And they're like, fuck this shit, we're sick of it. She's very involved in that rally riot and then gets imprisoned for five months, again without trial. And then she's just banished from Johannesburg for life. 
they're like you can't ever fucking come back here and they literally ship her ass out to like this little like shithead village right outside of this white super apartheid repping conservative town and she's there for like decades all because she was like uh protesting against the inability to use your native tongue yeah yep and again like without trial they just like they're like bye bitch see you later well what was their beef with people using their native languages anyway well because the whole thing is that they're trying to like stamp out the black culture the african culture got it got it got it yeah yeah they're basically just trying to like ensure their power if you don't know your language then like you don't know who you are right so uh so during that time she's out but she becomes internationally famous she kind of becomes the face of this like horrible human rights violation of a system like politicians from all over the world come and visit her ted kennedy comes to visit her even though we're not treating black people well in america but nobody wants to talk about that at the time uh and she becomes like a crazy alcoholic uh like really really bad there's actually so during this time because like nelson's in jail for eternity as far as they know and he basically told her like hey i don't expect you to be celibate like go get your dick i'm sure that's exactly how he phrased it (laughs) and she (laughs) she takes on this lover named uh mk malafane i hope i said that right and Nelson literally writes this dude a letter from prison and he's like, hey, like, please stay with my wife. She's getting buck fucking wild and I need you to control her. So he's like writing to his wife's boyfriend like, hey, can you keep an eye on my alcoholic wife? Like oh, shit's man. going down. Are the and kids like still around? I don't know where the kids are. I know like she gets separated from them multiple times. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there's a story that like could be apocryphal. But it goes that when uh, Senator Ted Kennedy came to visit her, she was so fucking drunk that her boyfriend literally had to put a hose on her full blast to sober her up. So oh, she's like, oh my God. So, like, this woman's been through a whole lot of trauma and she's just like drunk as fuck on the outskirts of the shithole town while she's trying to work the anti apartheid movement from afar. Yeah. Um, so, like, all this to say, because now she's about to go psycho on the Myco, and, like, she's been through a whole fucking lot. Like, very terrible things have happened to this woman. It's the mid-80s now. Things are changing. Like, the, the anti-apartheid movement is getting more volatile. It's getting more violent. There's more youth involved. Like, they're just like, we're fucking done with the shit, and we're ready to burn stuff to the ground. This isn't a game anymore. We want our country back. And she breaks her banishment and goes back to Soweto, she's got a whole new fucking song and dance at a rally in 1986 she says quote together hand in hand with our boxes of matches and our necklaces we will liberate this country necklaces refers to a form of execution called necklacing where you put a tire full of gasoline around someone's neck and light it on fire Oh, I saw this in an episode of The Americans. So Winnie is literally like, let's fucking kill these people. I'm ready to go. So she's balls to the wall at this point. Uh, In the late 80s, her house becomes basically ground zero for this so-called Mandela United Football Club, which proclaims to be her bodyguard, but is basically just a gang that terrorizes Soweto they basically just have like a kangaroo court in her backyard where they just rule people as traitors or guilty of whatever and beat torture and occasionally kill them that's the operation winnie mandela's running at this point 
uh they are linked that club is linked to multiple fire bombings in soweto and also carving viva anc which is the african national congress party into the flesh of two teens and pouring battery acid into their wounds so that's what's starting to happen but even like during all of this her a lot of people in her country love her they call her the mother of the nation like she to them is still the face of the anti-apartheid movement and she obviously is taking no fucking prisoners and a lot of people are riding hard for her uh so in 1991 She's convicted of ordering the kidnapping of four young teens in Soweto, one of whom is found dead with his throat slashed. And keep in mind as I'm saying this too, like these aren't white people that they're killing. Like even though that's who instated the system, and I like I don't know if that changes the impression for you guys, but it did for me. Like these are often black African people who she's calling traitors and basically like executing. Um, which of course she denies like across the board that she ever did any of that shit. So her bodyguard is charged with murder as a result of that crime. She is sentenced to six years in prison for um, for kidnapping, but she doesn't end up going because by 91, apartheid has been repealed, and she's sort of like this darling of the new face of government. Um, and she, like, and rightfully so, like, despite all of her fucked up, very violent tactics, she really was at the front of the anti-apartheid movement, and who fucking knows how much longer it would have taken to, appe- to repeal if she was in there um nelson is released from prison in 1990 uh but obviously he's like trying to distance himself from this woman because he's like oh what the fuck are you doing and in 1992 he announces their separation he claims it's for infidelity and i did actually read some articles where like it sounded like she was fucking with multiple people which he wasn't necessarily mad about but she wasn't being discreet about it and he was mad about that too but he cites infidelity as the reason for their separation uh in 94 nelson mandela is elected president in the first multiracial democratic election in south africa since the end of apartheid he offers her a job in his cabinet anyway even though they're separated and even though she's going ape shit because he's like you rode for me for 27 years like here you go you did great work blah 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 and he gives her i forget what it is but it's some bullshit like minister of arts just like a title that she can have to say she has a title but after allegations of influence peddling bribe taking and misuse of government funds he has to fire her (laughs) oh my god so and then in 1996 he officially divorces her he's like all right dude like i i'm out but keep in mind as i'm about to tell you the rest of this shit even though she's no longer in his cabinet, she's still a member of parliament. So she is an elected, or I don't know if she's elected actually, but she is a official of government as all of these charges are being leveled against her. In 1997, at the South African Truth and Reconciliation Committee, she refuses to show remorse for the abductions and murders carried out by her followers. Finally, after an archbishop is like, girl, you need to, you need to say something, she finally says, quote, things went horribly wrong. Uh, they rule her the committee rules her morally accountable for gross violations of human rights but nobody presses charges because you can't touch Winnie Mandela at this point and then again in 2003 she is convicted of fraud and theft using the African National Congress's Women's League to obtain fraudulent loans for her own personal use 
man. And at that point, she leaves Parliament for a while, but she ends up coming back in 2009, where she stays until her death. In later years, she talked mad shit about Nelson Mandela, basically saying he got soft in prison, like he came out and wanted a rainbow government. That's not what it's like. He's failed blacks in this country. She talks shit about other elected officials. And there is this, I'm going to end on this quote from an interview in 2010 with the Evening Standard, which Winnie Mandela later claims never happened and that the interview was entirely made up, which I don't believe. But in this quote, she supposedly says, quote, I am not sorry. I will never be sorry. I would do everything I did again if I had to. Everything. Uh, Winnie Mandela died this past April, April 2nd, 2018, at the age of 81, basically of just like poor health and diabetes. Um, And that's basically the story of Winnie Mandela. And before we discuss, like, a few thoughts I want to point out again, like, who can who can say but who knows what nelson mandela would have done after prison if she hadn't kept his fucking fire alive right like he may never have become president in 1994 without her being that lifeline to the public she really was like i focus a lot on her bad shit which was absolutely reprehensible and i'm gonna make no excuses for any of it she was still at the forefront of the anti-apartheid movement where you know like Uh, like she was being imprisoned without trial she was being beaten and tortured like the state was doing horrible violent stuff to these people yeah yeah yeah. and she really helped to like end that uh and again like she like she was tortured terrorized i mean like she just went through some shit and so the way that i see winnie mandela is like that saying that you have to become a monster to break a monster it's like i think like revolutions are fucking bloody they're not peaceful they are violent and there have to be some people who are willing to basically sacrifice their humanity to let other people be free which isn't to make excuses or to say that like what she did was dignified however like i think the intentions started out really good and then she kind of started going down a road where she realized it was faster to be violent and it was faster to be a fucking thief. And yeah. then once she started going down that path, it was just game over. Yeah. And she was like ill, traumatized, like alcoholic as fuck. Yeah. So, but to this day, people like, people ride hard for Winnie Mandela in South Africa and beyond. Like I was reading comments on articles. I was reading different think pieces. Like she is still a very controversial figure. Some people are very much like, fuck it, whatever she did, what she had to do. And because of it, apartheid no longer exists. Other people are like, she's evil. She's a fucking monster. So she's a very, very complicated woman. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That is Winnie Mandela. <sighs> I remember that you were going to cover one episode and then you're like, wait, I don't think I can. (laughs) I started reading. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. So she's so complex. Um, Such a crazy fucking story. I know. Like, I wish I could get more, like, thoughts from Nelson Mandela. I know. Like, how he feels about her and, like, I don't know. I would be interested to hear... Well, and the, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is, like, not that he wasn't still from prison doing what he could for the movement, and not that f- being in prison for 27 years as a political prisoner was any fucking cakewalk, but, you know, who knows what Nelson Mandela would have turned into if he had been out for 27 years 
going through you know what I mean like he might have turned into the same thing yeah 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 yeah. um but you know she like he you know he never had to go through that piece yeah even though he went through his own personal hell so you know it's easy in retrospect to be like oh like Nelson was like a peaceful guy and blah 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 and look at this psychopath but it's kind of funny I kind of like that though like he was like the peace guy and she was out there just fucking like lighting towns on fire <laughs> yeah dude she's fucking it up oh yeah so it's an interesting like she died very prideful and very obviously like non-apologetic although i like i personally find her story a little bit sad but she yeah. never seemed to see it that way so well, that's good yeah she was fighting for the cause yeah very complicated woman but complicated. when she passed away in april i saw all of these articles that were circulating that were like rest in power like social justice queen and like all these things that just made her sound so perfect right so mm-hmm. i was i was really surprised to learn the full story of her yeah so yeah crazy i know you guys share your thoughts with us yeah tell <laughs> us what you think i do have a, a guess what is she an Aquarius? No. I felt like she was an Aquarius because she's out there trying to change the world and she's an alcoholic. I feel like <laughs> it's hard to... It's a hard guess, I, really? I thought. I, yeah, I was like, oh, really? Hmm. But Aquarius is close in a certain way. I mean, I don't really know. I guess so. The only other guess I would have would be like Aries. She's a Libra. A Libra? Which is funny because we haven't covered a Capricorn or a Libra. And today we did. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard, it's a hard one. September 26th, so her birthday is coming up. Interesting. I wonder mm-hmm. like what kind of Libra qualities she has. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because it's like Libras are supposed to be quote unquote balanced, but to me, she's extremes. Yeah. So I don't know. I know. Be interesting to see what the rest of her chart was. That was a hard guess. Yeah, it's a really hard guess. But it's also hard to know what her personality was like before she went through all that crazy stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like she could have been a really loving, you know, caring, pleasure loving person but that doesn't come across in the story. No, not at all. Yeah, but she's a little... Wild! I know. It was interesting, like, I like these episodes. You guys should let us know, because it is... I mean, we can do them all the time because they're heavy, but, you know, like, getting both sides of the story of these women who are very complicated, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Oh. Or if there's, like, any other type of theme we could do. Um... That would be kind of cool to do themed episodes, like generational episodes or... Yeah. Um, I don't know. From history. There's a week... I mean, it's like limitless. The things could be... It yeah. seriously is. Yeah. So. So, yeah. Well, that was fun. I like covering our villainesses. I know. Talking about all their badass shady shit. Yeah, girl. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was good. Um, I have a woman of the week this week. Cool. Who is it? So I want to give a shout out to Taryn, who went to Aww. school with us at SS State. She is abroad right now, so she probably won't hear this for a bit. Hey, girl. But she, <laughs> I'm shouting her out because 
all of a sudden, like six days ago, I became obsessed with ancient Egypt, like out of nowhere. (laughs) And I was really high the other night and I was watching this documentary on the Rosetta Stone. And I was on Instagram like two days ago going through stories and her story is on, she's at the British Museum. So she's in uh, England with her boothing right now. And apparently the British Museum is where the Rosetta Stone lives. And she posted all these pictures of the Rosetta Stone. And I was like, oh my God, is that the Rosetta Stone? I was like, I just watched a documentary about this like three days ago. I'm so high and I'm watching an Egyptian documentary as we speak. And then she sent me all these close-up photos of it. Oh my God. Like, made me so nerdy happy as I'm going through an Egyptian phase which I'm pretty sure everyone went through at the age of seven but for some reason I'm going through it now <laughs> next week I'm going to be like have you heard of the dinosaurs they were gigantic lizards <laughs> <laughs> so thanks Taryn and also she's just like a huge supporter of the podcast and uh, and we and we appreciate you so my woman of the week is Taryn hey Taryn how you doing, girl? Um, isn't Rosetta Stone also a, like, software program to learn different languages? <laughs> yeah, so it's named after the Rosetta Stone. Okay, I was like, why does that sound familiar in a different way? <laughs> you were like, she sent you a computer program? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. Yeah, the Rosetta Stone um, is how they uh, decoded the hieroglyphs of ancient Egypt. Uh oh my god well, if you want to know more just message me i'm a scholar yeah i love it very exciting stuff so that's my woman of the week Woo woo! i don't have another woman of the week sorry oh. guys sorry ladies you need more m- more women need to be nicer to melissa well also i've been cooped up in my apartment for like <laughs> 10 days so i haven't seen a lot of humanity <laughs> not any of the good parts anyway not any of the good parts <laughs> exactly Uh, all right well guys let us know how you felt about this episode and if you want to see more yeah and if you have any other ideas and then again if you ever have any recommendations for women always shoot them our way yes please do mimosasisterhood at gmail.com that's right follow us on instagram and leave us a fucking review that's right all right thanks guys all right until next week Over and out. Bye. Bye.